You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. What's going on, everybody? Happy Saturday afternoon to everyone. I'm The Pody. It is December 7th, 2019. I'm your host, as always. And I just want to say it is Championship Saturday. There is a lot of college football going on. I am going to get to that, but first... I do want to dive in. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving and uh, Black Friday weekend. I hope you bought some uh, stuff on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, as I did myself. Some great deals out there. Maybe you bought a new television so you could watch all these championship Saturday games. You've got the uh, Big 12 championship going on right now between Baylor and Oklahoma, which is the one that I am interested in right now. It is a tight three-point game with about seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter with Oklahoma on top. Okay, I do want to start off with the... Big fight tonight. There is a big matchup in the boxing world. It is the fight of the year in a rematch between Andy Ruiz Jr. and Anthony Joshua. Now, if you look back to, let's say, I think it was six months ago, back in like June, maybe June 1st it was even, in Madison Square Garden, these two fought in what was a heavily favored matchup between uh, Joshua and Ruiz. Now, Ruiz was a late addition as Joshua's opponent. It was supposed to be some other guy. I'm not sure exactly who, but he was scratched late. I don't know if he tested positive for something or what, but they brought in Ruiz, and I don't know if Joshua just wasn't prepared or just thought he was going to, you know, just put the smack down on Ruiz because, let's face it, Ruiz is... uh, American, um, I think he's from California, but he has Mexican heritage. And so um, he is a total dad bod. I mean, if you look at this guy, you would laugh and think he had no chance versus this chiseled gazelle, if you will, just an absolute beast that is Anthony Joshua. Now, this fight is going to take place in about 40 minutes or so in Saudi Arabia. By the time you hear this, I'm sure the fight will will be over, in fact. But, um, you know, this is an interesting one because Joshua, again, he was, the he-, he was the heavy favorite. He comes in as the big favorite again this time. And now we have to piece this thing together and figure out if Andy Ruiz Jr., if he is going to be the buster Douglas, if you will, um, of the boxing world and get that one big time victory, just like Buster Douglas did back in 1990 uh, when he beat Mike Tyson as a 42 to one underdog, but then never again was able to rise to that level of prominence. We have to figure out if that is the real Ruiz or if this on the flip side for Joshua was just a fluke. Like I said, um, Ruiz was a late addition as his opponent, so maybe he just wasn't prepared enough or didn't get himself um, totally locked in or, or wasn't able to study Ruiz's fighting style enough because the one thing that Ruiz has going for him is his superior hand speed, and, and that really showed in that last fight when it was, what, I think like a seventh-round knockout uh, or something to that effect when the fight was called off back in June. This time, however, it is very interesting because 
Ruiz's trainer said that he expected him to be about 268 pounds, just about the same that he was back in June. However, when they had the weigh-in yesterday, Ruiz came in at 283.7 pounds. That is a staggering jump up. So he is gaining a whole lot of weight, which is not a good thing for his hand speed. It's really going to slow him down. I know he did say that he tried to drop his weight and that he didn't feel like that fit well for him. So he wanted to kind of bulk up a little bit just so he could have that more power. And he thinks he's going to be fine. He did say that they had the weigh in about 11 p.m. and he had already eaten dinner. I don't know anybody that eats dinner and all of a sudden gains, what, 15 pounds or so from from that meal Uh, I don't know that that's possible a lot of water weight and stuff like that maybe so um expect by by the time he gets in the ring for his weight to drop down slightly probably closer to maybe 275 if I had to guess but he's still heavier than he was in the last fight and so for Joshua on the flip side of that he's down to 237 pounds so that is a staggering difference between the two guys that is a nearly 11 pound difference from his first go around back in uh in June at MSG there so again like I said this is going to be the you know tale of two two different coins here. You've got Ruiz trying to prove that he's not a one-and-done like Buster Douglas, and then you've got Anthony Joshua trying to defend because he was the heavyweight champion of the world, and then he lost that title to Ruiz now. So he is hungry. He is coming back looking to, you know, to make up that ground and prove that he is still the best. So uh, we'll see. That that fight should be fun to watch, and it should be interesting, and I look forward to it when when uh, that, that plays out, like I said, in about 40 Five minutes or so. I don't know why they're fighting in Saudi Arabia. That's just a bit of a weird location. But uh, yeah, I wanted to get that out of the way. Do that first because I know that fight is coming up. So now we'll um, we'll change things up. We'll switch things over and we'll talk a little college basketball. And we'll start with Michigan making the largest jump in the 70-year history of the AP poll, coming in at number four in week four of the rankings. Oh my God! Yeah, they um they had some some beautiful performances, you know. Um, it just just coming in strong. They they, you know they they beat I think Gonzaga. They beat a couple a bunch of ranked teams, and it was a really great performance. Jawan Howard has done a phenomenal job, of course, coaching his alma mater in his first season. Unfortunately, they backed that up. Their first game at number four, they faced off Tuesday night against number one Louisville, lost by an embarrassingly uh, big margin, fifty-eight to forty-three. Uh, that's a that's a big number. It, it's also a staggering number of points that they put up, just forty-three points. It is the second lowest point total by any team in an AP top five matchup in the shot clock era, and that goes all the way back to the 1985-86 season when the shot clock was implemented. Um, I have to commend uh, Marcus Howard from Marquette. He is the first player in Big East history with 40-plus points in back-to-back games. He dropped 40 against Davidson in the quarterfinals of the Orlando Invitational Semifinal. He is averaging a D1 leading 29.3 points per game this season, just unbelievable. Um, So yeah, just the guy that you're going to want to look out for comes March, you know, when when the tournament starts. Just an unbelievable athlete 
athlete, can can score from pretty much anywhere on the floor, has amazing range, and he's really had an unbelievable week just lighting it up. Okay, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, if you will, for Duke. He now improves to 10-2 versus Tom Izzo when both of their teams are ranked. Duke beat Michigan State on Tuesday night, 87-75. Not a great start to the season for Michigan State. Of course, they started number one, had the loss to Kentucky. It's been kind of up and down for them thus far. Um, Can't, you know, hold their hats or their heads down after losing to a top-ranked uh, Duke team, of course, coached by one of the best all time. Uh, that's really all I have in college basketball. So now we'll, uh, we'll we'll speed things up and we'll get in. We'll dive right into NBA and we'll start with Carmelo Anthony, named Western Conference Player of the Week. Just unbelievable when you look at where he's come from in the past year, having not played in any NBA games. And I was one of the skeptics, I will admit. I was not sure if this would work out on this team. Okay, the Portland Trailblazers, a team that was in the Western Conference Finals a season ago. They are heavily banged up, many injuries. Just got Damian Lillard back uh, maybe a week or two ago, uh, trying to mix him in there with C.J. McCollum and those guys. They They are... team that is basically run by those through those two guards and McCullum and Damian Lillard. They shoot the ball a lot. Um, and, and so I thought I wasn't sure how this was going to mesh with Mello because he stepped right into the starting lineup for a team that I believe was five and 10. His first two starts were shaky, but they go three and oh in this week where he earns player of the week honors. He averaged 22.3 points per game, 7.7 rebounds per game, shot 57.4% from the field, uh, 45.5% from three point range and most importantly yeah they went three and oh so uh shaky start in his first two games but he he stepped it up he does look like mellow of old a little bit i mean he's he's got some hop he's out there dunking he's doing a a a whole lot of things and a, a lot of people i will say this they were a little skeptical of Mello getting this conference player of the week. Maybe they said they were just throwing him a bone there because you had James Harden go off for 60 points in just three quarters on Saturday. And then, of course, you know, you have Luka Doncic, what he's been able to do. But uh, Mello had a little had a little message for the naysayers. He said, I've seen the chatter, but I won't allow myself to pay attention, though. Um, because I've come too far to start listening to that BS. And he's absolutely right. Um, You know, he is one of the greats. I've always said this about Carmelo Anthony, dating back to when he first came into the league till up until now. I always said he can help a team. Um, As I watch Baylor hit one up the seam down the sideline, and this kid is running for the 40, the 30, the 20, and he's knocked down at the 15-yard line with five minutes and 30 seconds to go. Baylor, that was being thrown from their own end zone and they are now sitting at the Oklahoma 15 down three points with a chance to win this game. Oh, that was a beautiful play. The uh, inside receiver, he he looked like he was going to run like almost like a bubble screen and then he cut up the field and he was wide open. So let's see if Baylor can punch this one in. I'm rooting for Baylor and Matt Rule. I hope Matt Rule makes the college football playoff and could say, ha ha, F you uh, to, to uh, the New York Jets ownership who almost hired Matt Rule, but they uh, he backed off because they decided that they wanted to pick his coaching staff. 
I, I don't know. I have never heard of such a thing in my life where an organization is like, yeah, yeah, we want to hire you, but you can't choose your own coaching staff. We want to choose the guys that we, you know, that surround you on the staff, like absolute ridiculousness. And, and the Jets are a dumpster fire. Once again, I'll get to that later, but yeah, uh, more on that to come, but back to the NBA. So yeah, Carmelo Anthony, what a great week for him. Uh, congratulations and kudos to him. And last night they did, I, I don't know if it was last night or yesterday afternoon, but they did guarantee Melo's contract through the rest of the season. It is a one year at the veteran minimum of like $2.8 million. Money is not a problem for him, so he doesn't care about that. What's interesting about this, though, is late last night they played, I believe, in like a 10.30 p.m. game. Rodney Hood with a non-contact Achilles tendon tear. He is now done for the season. So with all the injuries that they um that they have right now, it is it is a nice warm welcome that Carmelo Anthony is there and is able to provide a much needed, I guess, really third scorer besides Dame and McCollum. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what that team can do moving forward. The Western Conference is stacked right now. I don't even know where they fit into the standings, but you know, you've got the Lakers. What they're doing right now is is pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, there's the Clippers, even though they got blown out by the Bucks last night. You've got um, you know Doncic and the Mavs. Uh, it's just been unbelievable. Baylor now has a fourth and three. From the from inside the twenty here, I'm not sure exactly where they're at, but um, it looks like they are in fact going to kick the field goal. And it, Baylor's quarterback, their their um, their quarterback, I forget his name, but he was ruled out for the second half of this game. He came out late in the first half, and they were he had to be replaced by a freshman quarterback who's done a very nice job, as a matter of fact. And they'll kick the field goal here with three minutes and twenty nine seconds left to uh, tie this thing up. Let's see if they can make it. If I had a drum roll, I would I would press the button, but I'm too into this game. And yes, Baylor field goal is good. So we are tied at 23 apiece, like I said, with about 325 to go in the Big 12 championship game. Okay, so let's get back to the, the NBA. So enough on the mellow situation. I talked about that enough. Let's talk about the 76ers. I want to say... Um, uh, I took these notes a little bit earlier, but I believe they have a game coming up. Yeah, okay, I don't even need to pull up uh, the schedule because I did write it down in anticipation of this. So the 76ers have started the season 10-0 and at home after beating the Utah Jazz on Monday. Their next home game is tonight against the Cavs. See if they can make it an 11-0 start at home. Then you have Giannis Atenacumpo. What he is doing is mind-bogglingly unbelievable. This kid is a freak. I think he just celebrated his 25th birthday yesterday or Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. He has been putting on a show. He looks like he's going to defend his MVP. I mean, he is putting up better numbers than he did last year. And most importantly, the Milwaukee Bucks are steamrolling people. They won their 12th straight against the Knicks on Monday. The point spread in that was like 18 or something like that. And it wasn't even close. They won by like 50. Uh, just unbelievable. I, I don't know if that streak is still going, but I do know they steamrolled. Uh, they smoked the Clippers last night. It, it just, wow, that was a bit of a staggering one. That that uh, put the eyeball the eyeballs all on the Bucks right now as the top team in the East for sure. Then you, uh, I'll commend the San Antonio Spurs. They overcame a 22-point deficit to beat the Rockets 135-133 to in double overtime on Tuesday night. 
That's the fourth largest comeback win for the Spurs under Greg Popovich, if you can believe that. It also marked the sixth time James Harden lost when scoring 50-plus points. That is the fourth most 50-point games in losses in NBA history. I'm telling you guys right now, they cannot win when you have a guy like James Harden shooting that much and scoring that much because when it comes down to it, other guys are going to need to make shots, and when they're not shooting as much throughout the game, they're going to be cold, and they're not going to have their rhythm because I don't know if I put that in here, but um, let me see here. There was a stat also from Russell Westbrook. Let me see if I can find it. I sent it to my dad because I thought, yeah, here we go. So again, when you have a guy like Harden shooting as much as he does, it's going to, it makes the, 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 the flow Uh, very stagnant when one guy is just shooting the ball, right? Case in point, their other superstar that they acquired in the offseason, Russell Westbrook, loves to hog the ball as well. Well, here's a stat for you. Russell Westbrook is the third player in the shot clock era. Now, in the NBA, the shot clock debuted in the 1954-55 season. He is the third player in the shot clock era to attempt 25 shots in back-to-back games without scoring 20 points in either game. He has He's also had his ninth career triple-double when missing at least 20 shots, which is the most in the shot clock era. I'm sorry, guys. you That is not a championship formula. You will not win a championship when you shoot the ball that much between two diff- two guys. That's not possible. It's just not. It's a, it's a five-man game. It's a team sport. There are three other players on the floor that are going to need to contribute. And so, uh, especially when D'Antoni is coaching this team, there is no defense being played. I Granted, it was overtime, but they gave up 135 points. It's just unacceptable. And you, I'm sorry, Houston Rockets fans, you don't want to hear this, but you're not winning a championship with the way this team is built. Not happening. There was also a bit of controversy in this game, a very, very weird play. I I should have picked up the audio for this one, but um, I'm sure by now everyone has seen it because this game occurred on Tuesday. James Harden scored on a dunk, but the way he dunked the ball, it rolled through the rim and then the trajectory, it came back around and then up and over and it clanked off the rim. So it almost looked as if like he missed the bucket. But when you slow down the replay, you can clearly see the ball goes through the hoop and then comes back around and bounces off the rim. So, I mean, if you weren't paying all that close attention, attention live you might see you might rule it um that it doesn't count but no in fact it did count unfortunately the refs missed it the most important people on the court missed it and said it was not a basket and then apparently uh Mike D'Antoni has about 30 seconds I guess this is the rule there's about 30 seconds where he can tell them to review this or, or or give them an indication that he wants them to review this I don't know if this has to do with his challenge throughout the game or not because you only get one of those but that's what I had heard and instead he used those 30 seconds to just argue about the play instead of telling them to review it so the pl- the play did not count they did not score count to two points and well guess what they lost 135 to 133 so it was it it happened to be a huge play in the game I also heard something some rumblings that they were going to possibly rule that the Rockets won this game like the day after the fact Uh, but I, I I I can't even imagine them doing that 
but uh, they said there would be a lot of uproar if that was the case. I don't know if this game was protested or what the case may was in in that game. So yeah, the Rockets lose that tough one by two points. Uh, so that's gonna do it, guys. That'll wrap up um, the first set, the first part uh, of this show. There's not too much left. We're about 20 minutes in, so that's a good pace. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll jump back into it. And we are going to talk some college football playoff. That's what the crux of this show is. Really, we're gonna talk. Obviously, it's championship week. Baylor, Oklahoma, right now. You've got Georgia and LSU coming up, and then you. You've got Ohio, Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Just a lot of games going on, Clemson, Virginia. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll dive into that. We'll dive into some um, offseason moves in in the world of Major League Baseball. We'll get to the NFL as well. So quick break, and I'll catch you on the other side. Okay, guys, what's up? We are back, and we're going to dive right into the college football world. Of course, um, we have Oklahoma Baylor on right now. It is championship weekend. I have said this a couple times already. So we have, uh, whatchamacallit, so Oklahoma and Baylor, they're in overtime. Oklahoma started with the ball, and they, in fact, just scored. And I've been recording this whole time, and I think my volume is a little bit low. So I am, in fact, going to up the gain just a little bit. I know it's showing, well, it's actually clipping a little bit, so I'm going to lower it. I don't know. It's it, it looks okay in the recording space, so let me know if it's too low, and I can adjust that. But um, So, yeah, Oklahoma, they're up right now. They I think they just kicked the extra point to go up 30-23. to 23. Baylor really missed an opportunity at the end of that game to uh, to win it there. But um, okay, so we're going to start off with, so obviously we're at championship weekend, which means the college football season is over. We do have the bowl games coming up and as such and whatnot, right? But we're at championship weekend. So only the teams playing in their conference championships are on today. And if I look at the right-hand side of my screen, I believe that's Cincinnati and Memphis. They just got started in their conference title game. Um, First play for Baylor, almost got sacked, had to throw it out of bounds. So let's see. The top four coming in is unchanged. You have Utah coming in at number five, followed by Oklahoma and Baylor at six and seven. Obviously, they're playing right now. Whoever wins this Big 12 title game is hoping for a loss by Georgia Clemson or possibly LSU, Ohio State. Of course, LSU is playing Georgia. In my opinion, the loser of the SEC championship game should not be in the college football playoff. But because LSU has three top five or top 10 wins and they are undefeated, they are most likely... Uh, in all likelihood, they are not getting eliminated from the top four if they lose to Georgia. Although you could make the case, and how I'm making the case is, if they lose to Georgia the second time around, then they really aren't as good as everybody is saying because they already beat Georgia, so they should beat them again. That's my opinion, but whatever. And then uh, same thing, I know Pete Thamel of um, Yahoo Sports believes that Uh, Ohio State and LSU are already in regardless of whether they win or lose. That's interesting because Ohio State, if they lose to Wisconsin, I don't know. They have been the most dominant team all year long, but let's face it. 
it all is going to come down to the committee. It's going to come down to the way these teams play today and the type of performance that they give. Right now, Baylor and Oklahoma, it's an interesting one because Baylor has just one loss, and it was to Oklahoma, who is a obviously number six ranked team in the country, and it was a tough loss. And on the flip side, Oklahoma, they have a bad loss to Kansas. So this is very interesting because if Baylor wins this game, they can argue that they've deserved to be in it. And if Georgia loses to LSU, I be- I mean, I'm sure that Baylor would get in in that case. So yeah, I'm rooting for Baylor at this point because I think it's the Big 12's only chance to get in. Um, of course, they do get in if they win and Georgia loses. In all likelihood, either of these teams gets in if Georgia loses. So now that we've come to the end of the regular season in college football, there are a lot of coaching uh, changes that are going to ensue. A lot of teams that played very poorly are going to be firing coaches, which is exactly what happened. But the first one was an interesting coaching change, and that comes out of the University of Washington, where Chris Peterson is deciding to step down after, I believe, six seasons at the helm there in Washington. Uh, it's, It's pretty shocking news, actually, because they had, you know, a decent season finishing seven and five, uh, but he accumulated a 54 and 26 record with two Pac-12 titles and one college football playoff appearance. So it's it's a bit interesting. They did say health isn't really an issue, although there was some concerns there. He just needs to uh, take a break and recharge. Probably take a year or two off and then come back at a at another power five school, maybe somewhere better in the inter in the meantime, I don't know if it's an interim rule, but they have, they have named Jimmy Lake, their defensive coordinator, um, their head coach. And Oh my God, fourth and 20 Baylor loses the game. Unbelievable. I look away for a second and Baylor for the second time this season, they lose to Oklahoma in overtime. I don't know how it got to a fourth and 20, but um, too, just too much to overcome with the freshman quarterback. And yeah, for Oklahoma, it's their fifth straight Big 12 championship, and it's the longest active streak in FBS. It's also, I believe, the seventh straight win over Baylor. And now all Oklahoma can do is wait. And uh, it's funny because obviously Jalen Hurts, the quarterback at Oklahoma now, he is going to be laughing his way all the way to the college football playoff if they get in. And he's going to be clapping back at Alabama for letting him go because Alabama, of course, with their loss to Auburn uh, last week, will not be getting into the CFP for like the first time, I want to say, since since that started a number of years ago. So very, very interesting. Okay, back to the stories at hand. Okay, uh, let the firings begin. So here I'm going to rattle off a bunch of teams that have fired their coaches. We'll start with Missouri and their coach, Barry Odom. He was fired after four seasons. Uh, he had he went 24 and 4, uh, excuse me, he won uh, they just beat Arkansas 24 to 14 on Friday, but they decided to can him anyway because Arkansas, one of the worst teams in the SEC. Okay, um, he was 25 and 25 overall during his four years there in Missouri, and they had Kelly Bryant running the offense this season because, of course, he transferred in from Clemson. So they had big expectations there and just didn't get it done. Another coach that got the axe was South Florida's Charlie Strong. He lasted just three seasons. Really, the guy never should have left Louisville because he had it rolling there, then goes to Texas, couldn't handle it there, and now uh, ends up at South Florida. But that's uh, where his ride ends. He started strong, but 
Um, you know, no pun intended. He went 10 and two in his first year, but then endured a miserable streak of nine straight losses to FBS teams in 2018 and 2019. That is just staggering. Overall, he had a 21 and 16 record was, but was just 11 and 13 in the American athletic, uh, conference, just bad. And then of course, Boston College, they are moving on from coach Steve Adazio after seven seasons. Another coach that went exactly 500. He had a 44 and 44 record. They did beat Pete, uh, Pitt, excuse me, they did beat Pittsburgh 26 to uh, 19 on the road Saturday to achieve bowl eligibility, but it's just not enough for Adazio to keep his job. Wide receiver coach Rich Gunnell will serve as interim coach while BC looks for a replacement. Okay, then you, um, on the flip side of that, some good news for coaches, for a coach, that would be Ryan Day. He wins Big Ten Coach of the Year in his first season at the helm in Ohio State, of course, taking over big shoes to fill um, for Urban Meyer. Uh, and you know, he did something Urban Meyer never did. And that was when big 10 coach of the year, usually it does go to like your Pat Fitzgerald guys, um, that are not expected to have a big season. And then the team pleasantly surprises in the conference. So yeah, interesting that, um, Ryan day much deserve it though, but very interesting that he gets coach of the year in the big 10 in his first season. And he is the first Ohio State coach to get the award since Earl Bruce in 1979. That is a huge 40-year gap, something that I, I actually could not believe when I read that. And then another interesting, was he fired, was he retained situation was USC head coach Clay Helton. Of course, we know that they, they um, got a new athletic director a few months ago in Mike Bond, but um, it was very interesting because I believe first reports were that they had fired Clay Helton, who they went eight and four this year, finished decent ranked team at the, at the tail end of the top 25 there. But then a, a, a news release or a letter was released by AD Mike Bond um, informing the team, I believe it was, of the decision on Wednesday. So Bon explained his rationale and assured his confidence to compete at a championship level. In addition, he also hinted at a major staff change that may be imminent or staff changes. So yes, I believe I did read a follow-up is that um, the only way that excuse me, Clay Helton would retain his job is if they made, just wiped out the rest of the coaching staff essentially. So um, yeah, that's that. Uh, so yeah, Clay Helton, he does, he he did salvage his job. Like I said, eight and four, which is respectable. It's not the Pete Carroll years of USC and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Dwayne Jarrett and those boys just smoking everybody um, like you see with Alabama, you, you know, over the past decade or so. But uh, no, respectable season, okay? At many... But although they, they did go up and down, there was many points in the year, kind of like with Jason Garrett and his uh, his job security right now, they, there was many points during the year where uh, the, ch the coaching change seemed imminent that he was going to be fired, but largely um, on the backs of a team that wouldn't quit, I, really, Helton uh, remains strong you know, at USC. Bond said, uh, this is a direct quote, his commitment to our student athletes and to leading with integrity is vital to restoring our championship program. So he has all the confidence from his new AD. Although, so I don't really know how um, the fans and people around the program and around USC and students that go there feel necessarily about this because from, from, 
everything I tried to piece together and read on Twitter and social media, not too many were fond of Clay Helton and they thought he wore out his welcome essentially and that they should move on from him. But hey, ultimately that decision came down to their new athletic director and he decided to retain him at that position. Next up, let's talk about a wide receiver from Tennessee who has been suspended for the first half of their upcoming bowl game. That would be Jaywan Jennings. He tackled Vandy's Justice Shelton Mosley with 3.06 left in the fourth quarter. While the two were tangled up, Shelton Mosley's helmet came off. Jennings then stepped on his head before a scuffle ensued. After a review, the SEC determined that Jennings committed a flagrant personal foul. The SEC announced a suspension Wednesday. The Vols to be announced uh, bowl game will be the last of Jennings' career. So here's the thing with that. I don't know if that occurred when I was recording um, last week's episode on Black Friday, but I remember seeing the video and there was a guy that came from the sideline on Tennessee and he jumped up in the air with both feet and came slamming down. I thought that that was the play in reference here. And I thought that that was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen because I think when it first came out, it was a very deceptive look because you kind of lost sight of the, of the, um, when he jumped in the air and came landing down, you lost sight of where he was landing because there was other players in the mix there. So it looked like he was coming down and trying to step slam down with both feet, maybe on a player's head, but that was not the case at all. I did see another angle and that was just a player coming over from the sideline, I believe. And he was just jumping in the air, like excited or whatever. So he never in fact did try to stomp on someone's head. This was another player that, that, uh, was on the field of play during that um, that was involved in a scuffle out of bounds. Okay, so the pack we had the pack. Tw- 12 title game last night between Utah and Oregon. Utah coming into this game at number five. They had a huge opportunity right here to show the nation what they're made of, to show the nation that the Pac-12 is ready to compete again in the college football playoff. Of course, there's been a three-year hiatus since Washington was in the college football playoff. And instead of showing out and playing a great game and beating Oregon, they laid an egg. They were down 20 to nothing at the half. Justin Herbert looked all world throwing for 178 yards and a touchdown in that first half. They were running all over Utah. Utah, I, I believe, had not allowed a 100-yard rusher all season. And what did um, what did Oregon do? They just stomped them into the ground and just killed any hopes they had of winning a Pac-12 title and getting into the college football playoff. Like I said, coming into this game, um, one of the players to watch was Justin Herbert, the quarterback at Oregon. He is viewed as one of the top quarterback prospects in the NFL draft, and I was interested to see how a poor performance would have, you know, would have uh, skewed his his um, his draft stock or, or 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 how it would have rated him moving forward. But um, he had a great first half, and then guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He turned into the Justin Herbert that I have been calling out for about the last two years. This kid is not good. He does not have the makeup to play at the NFL level. I'm sorry, he just doesn't. If you look at his numbers, like I said, 178 yards and a touchdown in the first half, amazing. They're up 20 to nothing. Next thing you know, third quarter starts, Utah gets back in this game a little bit, and all of a sudden you're like, oh snap, they're coming back. It is now uh, 20 to, it was 23 to 15. It becomes an eight point game going into the fourth quarter. 
and that's when Oregon scores 14 straight in the fourth quarter to win it 37-15. But here are Herbert's numbers in the second half. 15 yards passing. That is it. They won this game on the backs of their run game and their star running back, okay, in um, in, in Verdell, in C.J. Verdell, he just had a career day in this game, rushing 18 times for 208 yards and three touchdowns. In the second half, when Herbert did throw the ball, he was largely inaccurate. He missed on a couple open receivers and open passes that he needed to make. So case and point, this kid is just like Marcus Mariota, in my opinion. I don't think he has the makeup um, to be a good NFL player. And, and I, I, hey, I'm warning, I'm warning teams now, do not draft this kid because you will regret it. Okay, Lane Kiffin late last night after that game took place. Lane Kiffin, I don't believe it has been 100% finalized yet, but Lane Kiffin will be the new Ole Miss head coach. Of course, he spent the past three seasons at Florida Atlantic. And um, yeah, so I believe that this is going to be a this is going to be a definitely interesting um, hire for for um, Ole Miss because of course they are trying to compete in the SEC and it's been a tough sledding for them. Of course, um, trying to get back to those Hugh Freeze years where they were more competitive, they just have not been that competitive. And of course, Lane Kiffin, he is a big personality. He brings a lot to the table. Of course, one uh, hired at the age of 31 to be the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. He spent time at USC. Then he um, left. He got fired from there. He was at Tennessee. Got fired from there went to USC. He he ended up um, on the coaching staff, offense coordinator at Alabama. Then he went to Florida Atlantic, and he has been uh, pretty solid there. You know, he, he, he has done a good job there, but he really, FAU is not, of course, on the, on the level of one of the big power five conferences. So he's kind of done all he can do there and it's time to move on. Okay. So he goes to Ole Miss. That should be finalized shortly, and we'll see what he can do there in the SEC. They will be playing Alabama, so that should be fun to watch. And then I think next year they also get to play Tennessee, where he was run out of town there, so that should be fun. And then finally, I have to just give a shout-out to my alma mater, Rutgers. They did the right thing here, and they hired former head coach Greg Schiano to bring some credibility and stability back to this just awful program. It is the laughing stock in college football. I've been saying it all season long. I guess they finally wised up. They were a little bit embarrassed that people like me who went to Rutgers kept betting against them each and every week this year and winning betting against them. Um, so yeah, that's pretty bad when that is happening. So yeah, they hire Greg Schiano. It's going to be fun to watch him now. Hopefully, you know, at the height of the program when he was there for 11 seasons, he got them up to number seven in the rankings. And then uh, last week, it was just a wild and crazy negotiation time. There was um, reports that talks broke down basically over some of the stuff that he was demanding the incentives he wanted a private plane and he wanted uh, newer facilities and and increased salaries for coaching staff and then Chris Christie had come out and said that oh he's just an unemployed coach looking for the taxpayers to pay for his private plane flights and all that for him and his family and yada yada so then uh, season ticket holders fans even the governor of New Jersey got involved in this and they were ticked off that the negotiations broke down because everybody in the state of New Jersey seemingly wanted Greg Schiano as the 
Rutgers football coach. You had guys like Eric Legrand coming to to um, his, you know, coming to his aid and and, and make bring, uh, excuse me, voicing their opinion on why he should be the head coach and that it's not right that all this was going on. So yeah, Greg Schiano, new head football coach at Rutgers. Nunzio Campanelli, who was the interim head coach, has been retained as far as I know as the offensive coordinator. And smart move by Schiano. Should he keep him? It looks like he will because. Nunzio has a great connections to the New Jersey high school uh, football community. Of course, he was a coach just two years ago at the high school level. Okay, so that should be interesting. We'll see Greg Schiano. He did say, which is obvious, New Jersey is just the, um, excuse me, has a great pool of talent. There are just six other states with more players on college rosters than New Jersey. So the players are here. You turn on the TV, you'll see a guy at Oklahoma or at Baylor or, you know, at Florida or Georgia or Texas or USC or wherever. And the guys from friggin' New Jersey. I mean, I didn't even know Young Hui Koo, the kicker for the Atlanta Falcons was from New Jersey. I was like, what? What, where, where did this kid play in New Jersey? I mean, there's always somebody from New Jersey in in, in college football and, and in the pros, and they're never at Rutgers. We can never seem to keep those guys. So it's going to be interesting to see if Shiano can bring some um, validity back to this program and, and get these kids to stay in state and go to the State University of New Jersey, which is Rutgers, which is the most prestigious uh, football program in America in the sense that, you know, this was the Rutgers is the oldest college football program in the nation. I mean, we played in the first football game ever against Princeton 150 years ago. I've said it before. So the fact that we are one of the worst programs 150 years later, it is sad and it is kind of pathetic. And I hope that Shiano can, um, you know, like I said, bring, I'll say the word over and over, stability is what they need. These guys that are not necessarily highly rated, highly rated, touted. Um, he, he made a good example. He brought up a good example with uh, the McCourty twins. I believe it was um, Devin McCourty who he said, it, uh, it's true, he's running out of fingers to put Super Bowl rings on with the New England Patriots. He was a two-star recruit. And Shiana brought him to Rutgers, and look what he's done in the NFL. And his brother now is on the Patriots. And if you look at Bill Belichick, the best coach, in my opinion, in NFL history, all he does is bring in Rutgers players. His son is on the defensive coaching staff, played lacrosse at Rutgers. The connections are are clearly there. He loves kids from Rutgers, and he constantly brings them in. Just brought in Muhammad Sanu at receiver. I mean, that, that it, does that say, need I say more? I mean, this is how you, this is the selling point. This is how you're going to have to get these kids to commit to Rutgers and stay in house, in state. I don't know. I get it. Why you want to go to the Oklahomas, to the Floridas, to the Bamas, to the Michigans, Ohio States, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the big prestigious programs in the Big Ten, and Rutgers is at the bottom of the barrel at, in the basement. But what better? What's better than staying in? I mean, I stayed in state at Rutgers. It was 15 minutes away. I could drive home, do my laundry, or, or get picked up from my parents whenever I wanted. It was great. I mean, there's nothing better than being that close to your home, to your family, and having them, you know, come support you and see you every single weekend. So that's what Rutgers and Shiano have to build back up and get the program reignited and get the fan base excited again. And that's what a hire like Greg Shiano does. 
does because, of course, he has the credibility. He coached not only at Rutgers, but he then went to the NFL, coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where didn't didn't work out. It only lasted two seasons. Um, a lot of people believed he was too militaristic in his style of coaching, didn't really... Um, didn't really mesh in the NFL like it works in, in college football. Different different breed of guys, you know, they're making millions of dollars more than you, so it's hard to tell them what to do and be such a disciplinarian. But then in that second year, they had that weird MRSA outbreak, and then he got canned along with the GM after that, so really didn't get a fair shake there. Then he took some time off, was on NFL Live for a while before going back to the college ranks to, uh, excuse me, coach the defense be the defensive coordinator at Ohio State under Urban Meyer. So, I mean, he has coached under some of the greats. Uh, he was even, um, this past season, he was the coach, he was the defensive coordinator with the New England Patriots, and then abruptly he decided to resign before the season even started. So he has coached under some of the greats, Urban Meyer and, and, um, and Bill Belichick. So, I mean, that if that doesn't tell you enough about this guy, then I don't know what will. So hopefully he can bring them to some prominence. It's going to take some time to get out of the basement of the Big Ten, but I welcome it and I look forward to it. And um, yeah, so enough on that. Let's um, take another quick break and then we'll talk, uh, I believe, baseball. What else do I have here? Yeah, a little baseball, some offseason moves, and then we'll get into the NFL, and then I'll get you guys out of here um, and so you can enjoy championship weekend and the rest of your weekend, if you will. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk some baseball. What's going on, guys? We're back. Okay, so... Before we dive right in, we're going to dive right into the NFL. No, we're going to dive into baseball right now. Let me catch up on my place point here where I'm at here. Okay, so the first thing that I want to say is, yes, Baylor unfortunately just lost to Oklahoma. We have Georgia LSU. That game just started. Georgia takes over with the ball. So I'm going to make this thing quick. Nobody really wants to hear about baseball right now, but there are some key offseason moves that I have to, to mention. Mike Moustakis, formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers, has agreed to a four-year deal with the Reds worth $64 million. This has been a long time coming for Moose because he played on a pair of one-year deals over the last two seasons with said Milwaukee Brewers, and I believe it was two years ago, he was all, he went almost unsigned for a while, or maybe even last year in the offseason, thinking he was going to get a multi-year deal, and then in the end, he had to settle for a uh, one-year one year stint with the Brewers, and so now he gets a four-year deal worth 64 mil, like I said, and he had one of his better years last year, although the Brewers, you know, fell short again uh, Christian Yelich getting hurt didn't really help, but at 31 years old, man, he had 35 home runs, posted a career-high 845 OPS, and made his third All-Star team with the Brewers. So, yeah, nice addition for the Reds. I don't know how they're looking this year, um, but they are maybe a sneaky team to keep an eye out on for in the uh, to keep an eye out for in the Central. And then Cole Hamels, another guy that was signed, he goes to the uh, from the Cubs. 
from the NL Central now over to the NL East, signing a one-year $18 million deal with the Atlanta Braves. So they're trying to revamp that rotation because uh, pitching has really been their their, um, downfall in the last couple of seasons and especially last year. But Hamels, he has been one of the more reliable left-handed pitchers in baseball for really the last decade. He will be 36 years old at the start of the season, however. Uh, Last year, he was making a bid for his fifth All-Star team when he did fall up short, come up short. He did strain his oblique in his 17th start of the season to squash those hopes. But he finished 2019 at, you know, 35 years old with a respectable 3.81 ERA in 27 starts. He did have the highest whip of his career, but again, 35-year-old, he's a lefty though, so there's always a market out there for lefties, and he is a veteran lefty that has won World Series, won a World Series, you know, he he is reliable. Uh, and the Phillies surprised me on this one. They signed Zach Wheeler to a five-year, $118 million deal. The 29-year-old former Mets pitcher, he will stay in the division and play for the Phillies. He missed all of the 2015 and 2016 seasons recovering from Tommy John surgery. I'm sure Mets fans remember that. But despite his history of injuries, man, he still made 60 starts over the past two seasons. He was viewed as a next-tier free agent after Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. And it's interesting enough, the Yankees have been given the green light, supposedly, by ownership to offer Garrett Cole a record-setting $250 million deal. We'll see if he decides to take that or if that actually is true and gets offered or whether he decides to head back west to California, maybe the Angels. Um, That's the rumors that are out there. And I will say this much about the New York Mets. I give them credit because the, uh, this new contract that uh, that Zach Wheeler got is he's going to be making about, what, $24 million a year. That's just $2, two million less than Jacob deGrom, who is a back-to-back Cy Young winner. And and so I commend the Mets for, for extending deGrom back in, I believe, March when they did. So uh, good for them and kudos to them. And then I think, I believe Howie Kendrick, one of the heroes that helped the Washington Nationals win a World Series, they, they are bringing him back. Um, on a one-year deal as well, so that's that's good. It's going to be a one-year, $6.25 million deal that includes a mutual option for 2021. Howie Kendrick has been a stalwart in the league for many years. He was a 10th-round pick in 2002, a career 294 hitter over his 14-year career, um, and in 2019, at the age of 35, he was one of the most productive hitters in that Washington lineup, and he obviously hit that world, uh, that that grand slam that gave them the win in game seven against the Dodgers, which ultimately helped them get to the World Series. And he, no, he hit, it was in game five, obviously, because that series the did not go, was a five-game series. So in game five, he hit the grand slam. It was game seven that he then helped uh, in game seven of the World Series where he hit a huge home run. So uh, yeah, they bring him back, and I'm sure Washington Nationals fans are happy about that. Okay, so now let's put aside all the baseball, and let's dive right into the NFL. We had a slew of big games in in what was it, week 13 in the NFL? I keep getting lost here. Uh, Let me find it here. Where are we? Yes, we are in week 14. So week 13, okay, there were some big games. 
couple notable games, okay? You had the Ravens versus the 49ers, and I wanted to bet this game. I believe the spread was like uh, 49ers plus five and a half, and I thought that was high for a team that has a better record than the Ravens. The Ravens are the hot team right now coming in, having won seven straight, and the 49ers just um, came off a, what, they, they had a tough loss, I believe, right? The 49ers, they lost to the, um, I know they lost to the Seahawks on Monday night. That might have been the week prior, actually. Let's see. Um, they lost to, no, that was a couple weeks ago. What am I saying? They Well, anyway, they had the loss to Seattle. Then they backed it up with the uh, Arizona game, which they looked a little bit shaky. And then, um, that's right. They, they came back and they smoked Green Bay 37-8. Okay, so coming into this game, I thought it was a little weird that Baltimore was favored by so much. And this one came down to the wire. It was 17-17. And then in the end, they decided to go with the trusty Justin Tucker. And he did this for the win. Pro Bowl kicker Justin Tucker try and win it. And so here we go. Justin Tucker to try and... Win it for the Ravens, it would be their eighth straight if he can do it. From 49 yards out. Make it eight in a row for Baltimore! This is my neighbor! This is my neighbor! Go tell them where we live! So yeah, Justin Tucker, he hits the game-winning field goal, and the Ravens improved to, what is their record now, 10-2? and two? Yeah, they're 10-2, and two, and um, they have won eight straight, eight straight games now, and in the NFL, that is a lot of games to win in a row, and Lamar Jackson is the clear-cut MVP right now, although the 49ers had the formula to stop the Ravens. They held him in the pocket, made him throw the ball. He was not great. Uh, I believe his stat line was, how many yards passing did he have? Just 105 yards passing and one touchdown, and then he did run for 101 yards, so that's really what cost them in the end on that final drive to, to line it up for that field goal but yeah um John Harbaugh said we do have you know the most the, the best kicker in the league so they trotted him out there for like a 49 yard field goal and he he made it it was in the rain it was a sloppy game here was Justin Tucker this was pretty funny after the game because obviously you know Mark Ingram I'll give you the backstory every time he takes the podium he keeps saying oh big trust Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson MVP all that so Justin Tucker in his white boy voice took the state took the podium and he said this like in the spirit of my teammates who have been up here to talk to you guys the last few weeks, I should say something like real inspiring, like big trust. <laughs> and I'll open it up for questions. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty funny. It, it's all, you know, it's, it, it's all fine and dandy when you're winning games. And right now it looks like the Baltimore Ravens are having a lot of fun. They have a lot of trust in each other. And, and um, and it's, it's, uh, I tell you in this, in this world and in this age of the NFL where everything is predicated on the pass, we're seeing guys throw the ball more than we've ever seen in our lifetimes, right? And the Baltimore Ravens are doing the exact opposite. They are running the ball at an unprecedented pace, and everybody wants to compare Lamar Jackson to to uh, Michael Vick. No, 
He is doing things that Michael Vick never did. He is going to shatter the rushing record for a quarterback in a season, and I can tell you right now that he will win the MVP unless he does get hurt or something, and then Russell Wilson goes off like a maniac in the final few weeks. Um, This is Lamar Jackson's trophy to win. He is juking people like I have never seen anybody before in my life, and my dad said that I believe that Lamar Jackson could could truly be a running back in this league. And, uh, you know, the more I think about it, he might be right because he put a juke on somebody on the 49ers uh, uh, this weekend that was just, the guy had no, broke his ankles, ain't even the word. He didn't even get a finger on Lamar Jackson. I mean, his jump cuts are just ridiculous. He puts his foot in the ground and jukes the, the to the right and you have no chance. It's like he's doing jump cuts without even moving and guys can't touch him. It's ridiculous what he's been able to do. So um, yeah, they are a scary team to watch. So watch, so keep an eye on them. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been fun to watch and it's going to be really really interesting because I'm still on the train of the Patriots where the bandwagon where I am not yet ready to give up on New England. I'll get to them in a second. Um I think they are still the number 1 team although the Ravens did beat the the Patriots once already this season, but once playoff con- time comes, you know that that's a different Patriot team. And so, um, yeah, I'm still not sold on the Ravens being the clear-cut favorite in the AFC, but they are the number one team in the NFL right now, and it has been fun to watch. Okay, so let's go uh, forward with this, and let's talk about a team that has been very up and down and shaky, and that has been the Carolina Panthers. It's tough when you lose your starting quarterback for the season, essentially, but the Panthers have decided to part ways. They did, in fact, fire Ron Rivera. I thought it was a little bit surprising, but this is exactly what happens when you lose to a team like the Redskins. It was one of those games, they were 10-point favorites, and they laid an egg, and they lost to the Redskins. And personally, my opinion on this, I was never, I've said this before, I was never a Riverboat Ron guy. I never really liked his coaching style. I thought he did a lot of questionable things during his time in in, um, in in Carolina there. So yeah, no love lost there. But when you listen to what some of the players have to say, you know, Cam Newton said it hurts deeply. Um, and, and then you see what a guy like Greg Olson, who's been with him uh, multiple, you know, multiple, multiple, many years and say the thing the, the great things they say about him. I think he will be coaching again in the league, and he did voice that. He said on Wednesday um, that he does plan on moving forward, and he does want to coach again. So uh, he it's very possible he gets another coaching gig next season. So keep an eye out for Riverboat Ron. I don't even know who's taking over for them, but uh, he won Coach of the Year, I want to say twice, took the the Panthers to the Super Bowl. They went 15 and one that year, um, although they were slaughtered by the Broncos, but he still did take a team to the Super Bowl. Uh, just real quick in separate news relating to the Panthers, Cam Newton injury status. He probably played his last uh, snap for the Panthers. Um, he is been, he was put on IR November 5th. He is going to, I don't know if he had the procedure yet, but um, he is scheduled to get a, a procedure done that is supposedly, it's a relatively simple procedure, but it is in the area of the Liz Frank in his foot. So maybe something to keep an eye on. Uh, I know Cam was hoping to avoid the surgery, but he ultimately opted for it. And then, okay, so now I'm going to take a deep breath 
and I'm going to get into the Bengals and Jets game. And I said last weekend that going into this game, I was extremely, extremely nervous for my New York Jets because, yes, they won three in a row. They scored 34 points in two straight games or whatever, and they were rocking and they were a-rolling and they were connecting on all cylinders, smoked the Oakland Raiders 34-3, to right? And they go to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's just plus three at home, kind of like the Jets were against the Raiders. And I feared for my New York Jets. And what do you know? The New York Jets came out and they said, wait a second. Why are we winning all these games? We're not going to be a playoff team. We need to lose. And it feels like Adam Gase just decided to sit down and, and, and just wave the white flag on this one and say, you know what, guys? We're not winning this game. I'm not going to coach this game. I'm just going to stand there on the sideline and, and, and with my blank stare, kind of like Todd Bowles, okay? And Michael K hits this right on the nail every single week on his radio show, the Michael K Show, 98.7, okay? He says it every time the fans want to see some emotion. It's what we were crying for with Todd Bowles and why we hated that man and wanted him gone because they could be winning 34 to 3 or losing 34 to 3 and the man has the same facial expressions every single time. And then I watch Adam Gase during this game where the game plan is absolutely shot. There nothing is working. Sam Darnold looks like he's taking another step back. Le'Veon Bell looks like a sieve of himself. I don't even know what he is doing out there. I think he honestly gave up, quite frankly, because he is not running hard. He doesn't look like he used to. He hasn't really run hard all season. He's saying all the right things, but I can't help but wonder if he's banged up or if he's hurt. They have the most guys on IR. I'll give Gase that. Um, the defense has looked good over the last couple of weeks, but they're their, their game plan on Sunday was horrific. They let the 0-11 Cincinnati Bengals run wild on them, okay? And they granted, they went back to Andy Dalton, and he looked okay. There was zero pass rush. They they tried to bluff the blitz, it looked like, on every single play. They weren't dropping. They just decided to drop guys back. Uh, Jamal Adams did not look good, okay? He wasn't blitzing. He's trying to break a record for most sacks by a safety in a season. And he didn't have a chance in this game because they never brought him on the blitz like maybe twice. They were horrific, okay? Grant, like I said, 15 guys on IR, which leads the league. Now, of course, there's an illness running through this locker room, much like with the Patriots having to take two planes. Le'Veon Bell is questionable. Um, I'm supposedly, uh, I'm waiting to find out what his deal is right now. Ryan Griffin is questionable with an illness. I mean, Le'Veon Bell didn't even practice yesterday, and that's never good when a guy doesn't practice on Friday. There still seems to be no friggin' update on these guys, so I don't know what's going on. They're playing Miami, and they're probably going to lose again, and I've had it. I, I thought that Gase had turned the tide and, and turned the corner with this program and with this football team, and when you go backwards like that, it just proves one thing to me. Same old Jets. They put their fans through the ringer, and if I don't have gray hair where my hair doesn't fall out by the end of the season, then it'll be a miracle because this team is an absolute joke of a franchise. They are the laughing stock in the NFL, and it is just putrid. And, and the performances, they, I refuse to go to a game at all this season. I had ample opportunities to go to a game. 
I will not give this organization my money. It is not happening. I already bought a Jamal Adams jersey in the offseason, and I kind of regret that. But yeah, I refuse to give this team my money. And you know what? I might throw out a little boycott in there, and I might decide to boycott this team and not go to another game until they fire Adam Gase. I'm contemplating that right now. But he has to prove a lot to me over the next few weeks to end this season to show me why he deserves to keep his job because right now I believe that he should have been fired after this Cincinnati game on Sunday because they are the first team in NFL history to lose to two separate teams who have an 0-7 or worse record. So they lost to the previously 0-7 Miami Dolphins, and now they lost to the 0-11 Cincinnati Bengals. And that is an absolute joke and a half that this man can say, can call himself an NFL coach because he did zero coaching on Sunday. And I had to watch that disgraceful performance that they put on. Okay, can we move on finally? I think we can. I just wanted to get that out of my system. I hope they lose to Miami, actually. I would love to see them lose to Miami just so I could see Gase get his self-fired because I am over it. I am over it. I am over it. All right, um, next up, let's talk about the Cowboys, who um, are also going to be looking for a new head coach after the season, the way they are playing. Uh, But before we get to that Thursday night game, I want to really talk about uh, their defensive tackle, Antoine Woods. He was arrested because he can't stay off of the what, Stephen A. Smith? Stay off the weed! He can't stay off the weed. That is correct. He was uh, charged with possession in of marijuana in Texas on Tuesday, also charged with tampering of evidence. Texas does still treat marijuana as a Schedule One substance. The max punishment for his offense includes a year in jail and a $4,000 fine. He has been dealing with a knee injury, I believe, this year, so he's played in just 8 of 12 games. And also, he could be looking at a suspension from the league or further discipline there. Okay, let's talk real quick about the Washington Redskins. They have signed Jordan VC, I believe it is, to the practice squad on Wednesday. Uh, This is significant because Jordan VC was one of the wide receivers that Colin Kaepernick was throwing to at his workout Uh what, a week, week and a half ago? So yeah, I think that is hysterical because it's like, it's like, hey, Kaepernick, we're not going to sign you. We're going to sign that that unknown dude that you happen to be throwing the ball to. Nobody was even there to watch that guy, but we'll just sign him just because. So haha, screw you is basically what they're saying to Colin Kaepernick. Little bit about VC though. He was an un- he was undrafted in 2018. He did spend a little bit of time on four different practice squads. Okay, let's talk about last uh, th- excuse me Thursday night's game between the Cowboys and the uh, Bears, and then I'll quickly recap the um, the last week's game and give you some uh, dirt on this week's games coming up and what I the teams I like. Okay, so. I had said earlier in the season after like week three or four that I'm done with Thursday night football. I'm not betting on Thursday night football. That's it. Well, I liked the Cowboys after their horrific performance 
okay, a week ago on Thanksgiving. They were desperate for a win. Nobody seems to want to win that NFC East, okay? So I decided, you know what? Let me bet on the Cowboys. They are just minus three on the road, but the Bears, the Bears can't score points. They looked horrible all season long. I mean, I had the Bears defense and fantasy, and it was killing me. Speaking of fantasy, though, I actually, the playoffs started this week. I almost had the worst um, finish to a fantasy football season known to man. So I started the season eight and one. I lost four straight, finished the season eight and five. And I was literally, um, a hair away from losing from missing the playoffs rather, because I lost to the dead last place uh, team in my league who didn't even, he didn't try basically all season long. I lost to him. I only put up 72 points. It was my worst performance of the season. And so not only did I lose to him, I needed one of these other two guys that were just below me in the standings in sixth and seventh place because top six in my league make the playoffs. I needed one of them to lose, and it didn't look like uh, they were going to lose. Well, one of the guys in my league decided he didn't want me in the playoffs, and he was going to like basically throw it to the guy in sixth place so that I don't make the playoffs, right? So then I, this, our commissioner stepped in, and he's like, bro, you can't do that. He was going to bench Julian Edelman is what it was. He had already benched uh, Galladay and um, somebody else on his team that absolutely went off, which I couldn't fault him for benching those guys because of the situations they were in. Okay, so he was going to bench Edelman, and then he tried to give some BS. Well, I'm still deciding between Edelman and Sanu, so we made him start Sanu, and thank the Lord I watched that game till the very end, praying and praying and praying that Edelman would get the 16 points needed to eliminate the guy in sixth place and guarantee me a spot in the playoffs because I lost. And sure enough, on the final drive, Brady to Edelman for the touchdown, and I'm dancing into the playoffs. So I decided to go with this game on Thursday night because I I picked up uh, Michael Gallup as my as my second wide receiver because T.Y. Hilton is probably out for the year, and I was like, I can't do any more of this. I, I just can't continue down this path with guys that aren't putting up points, and I'm, I'm reluctant to go with Larry Fitzgerald right now because he he's good for nothing. He gets me like. He's a guy that won't get you zero points. Great. He'll get like eight points. That's not enough right now. I'm in the playoffs. I'm playing the best of the best, so I need better performances. So I was like, screw it. I'm going with Michael Gallup on Thursday night football, and so I wanted to bet on the game, and I bet the Cowboys. And you know what? That first drive of the game was so phenomenal. They ate up so much clock, and they punched it into the end zone go up 7 nothing, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a nice night. They're going to just dominate, and then next thing you know, they are getting absolutely slaughtered, and before you know it, the second half starts, and I'm at the Glorious House of Gains podcast. I come home, and the second half starts, and it's 24 to 7, and I'm saying to myself, you have got to be kidding me. Like, there goes my money. At that point, I was just like, please, God, Michael Gallup, have a good game, and luckily, he, in garbage time, he had, like, what uh he had 109 receiving yards but he uh yeah he led the team with 10 targets he had six receptions for 109 yards and he got me 15.9 points and that is a great start to my playoff um to the playoffs for me. So yeah, now I just got to hope that Mahomes and Tyreek Hill have a big game up in New England. It's going to be very difficult. Okay. So yeah, the Cowboys did, they did make a comeback, but they ultimately came up short and lost 31 to 24. And I have, I took issue with Jason Garrett's decision. They got to the eight or 12. I think it was the eight or 12 yard line and they had like eight seconds left. Okay. 
and not a little bit, maybe like 10 or 12 seconds left. And they elected to go for the field goal to make it a touchdown game. You're at the eight yard line. Okay. Go for the touchdown right there. Maybe go one play. If you don't get the touchdown, then kick the field goal. But what, what sense does it make to, to um, kick the field goal and then what hope you're going to get an onside kick and then throw a Hail Mary? Come on, that that's not happening. It's just not. So in my opinion, you get the touchdown and then if you have eight seconds, maybe you can get an onside kick. Then you can possibly, unlikely, but throw one pass to a sideline and, and um, you know, and then kick a field goal to tie it like a 60-yarder or whatever. I mean, that's more likely in my opinion. So he, but either way, they were going to lose the game. It's just a matter of preference. I didn't like it. I'd say you're going to lose anyway. Just go for the freaking touchdown. But um, whatever. He's the head coach. So that that's the only issue I took with that. What is going on with that team? There is there are some serious issues. They are now six and seven. Whoever wins this division m- might end up being seven and nine because the Eagles looked horrible and the Eagles lost to um to the Dolphins, which was a joke. That was one of my lock picks. Eagles minus 10, I thought for sure. But apparently nobody in the NFC East wants to win that division, okay? Um, so yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. And I just want to play some set. I want to go over some of the other games. And since I mentioned the, the um, Thursday night game, here is basically how this game played out. For the uh, for for this was the this was essentially the game for Dallas. Here it is, right here on this one play. He keeps again, one on one tackle miss, touchdown Trubisky. What a night for number ten. Yeah, what a night indeed. I do. I will backtrack to a, the the um, Sunday night game and then. I want to go over the Dolphins and Eagles game real quick, but they the, the Cowboys defense was so bad that they made the they made Mitchell Trubisky, who has been terrible all season long, they made him look like, uh, like friggin' uh, you know, Lamar Trubisky or something. I mean, this kid he he was running wild. He threw for two hundred forty four yards, three touchdowns, a, a pick. You know, he ran for another 63 and that rushing touchdown. I uh, just, I mean, just unbelievable the, the the lanes that they were giving this guy and, and what they did at uh, 31 points to give up 31 points to the Chicago Bears. You should be absolutely fired and ashamed of yourself. I don't even know. Okay, so the Bears did score 31 points against the Redskins earlier this season, but of course that's the Redskins. So yeah, that's tied for the most points that they scored all season long, and they did that way back in week three. So shame on the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Garrett's seat is hot, is white hot right now. I thought for sure I sent out a tweet after that after that um, game when I went to bed, and I said I expect to wake up in the morning to see Jason Garrett fired. And then I was going to add a subtweet to that and say, and you could throw David Fisdale into that mix. And lo and behold, David Fisdale did get fired yesterday. So Knicks fans can rejoice. They have had the worst start to their franchise like ever. Um, and it was definitely time for Fisdale to go because that team is a joke. I don't even know who the interim is going to be for their matchup tonight. But um, yeah, I forgot to mention that in my NBA segment. And real quick, I want to get back to the Dolphins and Eagles game. The Dolphins... They they came to play against the Eagles. The Eagles blew a 14-point uh, lead in the second half, I want to say, in the third quarter. Devontae Parker was looking like Randy Moss out there, just snagging on people or 
you know, cookieing on people as, as they like to say, um, these young kids, but yeah, take a listen to, I don't think we've ever seen a trick play quite like this. Here was the trick play that the dolphins ran, uh, I, I, late in this game. It was just unbelievable. Never seen anything like this. I'll explain after, or I think they, they, they say it in the clip, but here it is. Hawk, the punter takes the snap and then the toss to the end zone for the touchdown to the place kicker, Come Jason on. Sanders. Come on. Uh, you know, it's just a fake we've worked on for a few weeks and we felt like that was a you know, good time to run it and gave us a spark. The Dolphins have players split all over the field. Four to the right. They run Got it. They it. throw a touchdown. Unbelievable. Check uh, Hawks, Hawks passer rating. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, so if you heard that, that's right, you heard that correctly. It was the punter tossing to the kicker. I don't know that that's ever happened in NFL history. So it was just a wild, it was one of those, uh, you know, trick plays where they lined up everybody, you know, different guys on, on the entire part of the field, kind of like we saw with the Colts a few years ago. They tried to run a trick play a little bit similar. They were in like a, a punt formation and then they jumped out to this crazy wacky formation and then it just went desperately wrong because they hiked the ball and it was like three guys versus one and he did nothing. But yeah, it was just epic. I'm sure everybody has seen that by now. And then a little bit surprising in the Sunday night game, we saw the best defense in the NFL all season long in the New England Patriots, they looked very pedestrian and very beatable as Deshaun Watson lit them up and threw for three touchdowns. So here's some plays uh, I got a quick clip of. I believe all three touchdowns from Deshaun Jackson. I pulled this from the uh, NFL Instagram account. So here was the uh, Houston Texans beaten up on the New England Patriots on Sunday night football. Feel great up in here. We're going against the best. We know what we got, baby. Watson fakes the give, dumps it off, fells left side across the five. He's in. Oh yeah! Hey, kid. Watson deep downfield, touchdown. Three touchdown passes against the defending Super Bowl champions. A little trickery here. Hopkins and more trickery to Watson. Touchdown. Deshaun Watson with a touchdown. For the franchise, for all of us, man. Great night. So, yeah, there you have it. The Houston Texans beating up on the... Uh, New England Patriots, 28-22. to 22. It wasn't even really that close. And then, last but not least, the Seahawks, they won a tight one against the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook got hurt in that game, and the Seahawks did, um, you know, they fought. This was a back-and-forth game, and they won this one 37-30. It's interesting because now that the Seahawks won that game, they jump up to the number two seed, and the 49ers 
by way of a head-to-head matchup with the Seahawks, which was a loss, they dropped to the five seed from the number one seed. So yeah, tough sledding for the 49ers. They've got to play the Saints coming up uh, this week in week 14. And the last thing I want to bring up from week 13 would be the Broncos and the Chargers. This game was tied late. The Broncos started Drew Locke making his first career NFL start. He was decent in this game. He put them in position to win. Well, the Broncos, who have been getting screwed every which way this season, losing on last-second field goals, they finally got bailed out on this one, and they won it on a game-winning field goal because the the um, the Chargers tied the game up at 20 apiece with, oh, say, 30 seconds left or whatever it was, not even. Well, the Broncos threw deep downfield, almost like a Hail Mary situation, trying to get into field goal range. And will you know that the defender on the Chargers, I can't remember who it was, um, Casey Hayward, whoever it was, he got called for pass interference, spot foul, and they kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. Wow, wow, wow. The, the Chargers can't get out of their own way. They are just having a miserable season. So that was week 13, guys. I'll give you a quick, um, and I actually, I picked those games pretty well. I was pretty much on the money with my picks, except for the Jets. But um, this week, I'll give you a couple games that I like. I'm sorry, I'm taking, I, I like the Dolphins at plus five. The Jets haven't showed me anything like right right now, and the Dolphins are actually playing hard for Brian Flores. So give me the Dolphins at plus five. Um, another game that I like, I like the Bills at plus six against the Ravens. I really do. I loved them against Dallas, and I like them again here, because if you... If you're not if you're if you're not paying attention and you try to sleep on the Bills, the Bills win this game and the Bills are the number one seed in the AFC. Imagine that. Um, imagine that. Actually, no, that might not be true because they lost to the Patriots head to head. So the Patriots would be the number one seed, but still, the Bills would have a chance to to get the number one seed in the NFL, which is amazing. Okay, you have the Bengals against the Browns. The Browns are plus are minus seven, and right now, what's going on with the Browns? They lost to the Steelers. They look like a mess as well. I'd take the Bengals plus seven. Browns haven't shown me anything. Okay, and then uh. Big one I like is the Packers. This is probably my lock. Packers at minus 13. They won me some good money against the Giants. That was easy money uh, last week in the snow there. Uh, I like the Vikings. Minus 13 is a lot, but um, I, I, I like the Vikings in this game. Um, I would probably say I don't know that I like the Lion, uh, the, the Vikings by minus 13, but I'll, I'll stick with that. I'll say Vikings minus 13 just because I'm desperate. I picked up Vikings defense and fantasy. There's probably starting this Blau kid again, so who knows? And you've got the Saints and 49ers. I'm leading toward the Saints here at minus two and a half. Um, I like the half a point there because field goal gets you that win. Okay, so that's perfect. Um, I'm going to skip all these games. You've got the Chief Patriots, Chiefs and Patriots. I don't know that I could bet on that game. I'm leaning towards the Chiefs just because, again, fantasy purposes, I need a big game there. Um, you've got the Seahawks and Rams. That's an interesting one. The Rams are fighting for their playoff lives. They need a win here. That's a push game. Uh, they desperately need a win. And then on Monday night, guess what? Eli Manning has been named the starter. Daniel Jones is dealing with a high ankle sprain similar to what Saquon Barkley was dealing with. So you've got the Giants at, at plus nine and a half against the Eagles. Going back to Eli, baby, it's going to be the dump-off king. Saquon Barkley is going to have a big game in, in that respect. And I love me some New York Giants at plus nine and a half because the Eagles 
absolutely stink and no one seems to want to win that division. So guys, that will do it for our NFL talk and we'll just segue that right into the final stretch of this thing and let's go right into it. We'll talk Tiger Woods, okay? Tiger Woods has had a phenomenal year to his to, to his career, but this year in particular really resurrected him as a golfer and as a professional, you know, um, professional golfer in, in, in the ranking world and in, in the respect that he well deserves. Okay. So he finished, he currently ranks seventh in the world rankings, which is unbelievable. I think he finished up fourth at the hero world challenge that just ended a couple hours ago. Uh, this is all coming. I think it's 10 years not to the date, but it's it's 10-year anniversary, basically, uh, to the biggest scandal after the biggest scandal in sports that I can recall when Tiger Woods' exposed double life exploded into the world headlines. He was a sex fiend. He, you know, he, he was cheating on his wife, Ellen Nordegren, I think is her name. And just, it was unbelievable scandal that rocked the, the, the sports world. Okay. Um, it was like that thank I think it was a Thanksgiving night, basically, um, when they got into the fight and she was hitting the car with the golf club and everything. It was crazy. And then all these stories came out and everything. And basically from that point on, he was dropped by Nike. All sponsorships were dropped and things of that nature. And then he went through a multitude of injuries and back surgeries. And, and you all know the story, but that's when players that used to look up to Tiger, your Justin Thomases, your Ricky Fowlers, your Jordan Spieths, your Brooks Kepkas, I could go on and on and on. They've all risen to the top while Tiger Woods continued to break down. But nobody thought he'd make it back to his old dominant self. Probably only him. Okay. This year, he proved everybody wrong when he shocked the world and won the Masters. He also just won his last tournament that he played in the Zozo Classic in Japan, and then he finished fourth here at the Hero World Challenge. So he is playing some of his best golf of his career right now, and he's proving that, you know, at what, 42, whatever, however old he is, that when he is on and when he is healthy, that he is still the best or one of the best in the world. So it's been awesome to watch, and I know he's never going to be the same that he was but again he just proves that when he is locked in and when he is healthy he's playing some of his best golf ever and he can compete with these young guys okay last but not least on this day in sports I'll give you two of them okay one baseball one football just because of its championship weekend college football everything going on we got the NFL tomorrow we'll start first with December 7th 1939 Lou Gehrig was elected to the Hall of Fame he was the first player to have the rule waived that required a player to be retired one year before he could be elected and I'm so hoping that Derek Jeter next year becomes the second unanimous um, election into the Hall of Fame uh, his t- former teammate Mariano Rivera being the first ever unanimous hopefully Jeter gets in there as a unanimous uh, vote as well and then December 7th 1963 CBS introduced the first ever instant replay during the Army Navy football game and obviously the way that that has changed how we view the game on television is second to none. Uh, So, okay, guys, that's going to wrap this thing up. This has been episode 78 of This Week in Sports. I'm the Pody, signing out.